Hello everyone, I hope you're well and welcome to All About Fertility podcast. I'm Ella, your host, and today I'm here with Lucy Lyons and she's an embryologist turned fertility project manager and the founder of Two Lines Fertility. Now Lucy helps women and couples who are trying to conceive, navigate and understand the world of assisted reproductive technology. So welcome Lucy and thank you so much for joining me today. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) No problem. So what I would love before we jump into it is if you could introduce yourself to everyone and tell us what you do. Okay, so my name is Lucy, as we said, and I am the embryologist behind Two Lines Fertility, which is a service offering um, independent fertility guidance and support to people who are feeling overwhelmed by their diagnosis of infertility. Um, I have worked clinically as an embryologist for a number of years. I've been in the field for over 20 years now um, with many years in the lab and doing management and marketing and all sorts of other bits and pieces. But for the last almost four years now, I have been doing that independent fertility guidance and support for people. Fantastic. And what you do is so important. Thank you very much because it can be so overwhelming, especially if you're new to IVF and you don't know where to go because there's so much conflicting information out there. And, you know, how do you decipher what is going to be right for your journey and for you as a couple or if you're going through it as a single person? You're so right. There's just so much information and it's just so overwhelming that it's really hard to sort the wheat from the chaff. And really work out what's going to be right. So as you're an embryologist, what I would love to do is talk about all things embryos. What is an embryo? What can we expect? And what does all the grading mean? But first, I'd like to take it right back and discuss your role as an embryologist. So an embryologist is the scientist that you may meet um, as you're on your way into theatre to have your eggs collected. Perhaps they're one of the many people that's standing in theatre when you get in there. Um, It feels a bit overwhelming. There seems like a lot of people in there. But the embryologist is the one who will uh, receive the um, fluid as it's aspirated from or sucked from your ovaries, um, that follicular fluid, and they are the ones who will search through that follicular fluid, find the eggs, and then they take them back to the lab where there's a team of embryologists who will um, get the sperm and prepare the sperm. They'll put the sperm and the eggs together, and then they'll watch those um those eggs develop into embryos and grow through hopefully the blastocysts and the embryologist is the one who monitors all of that does all of that and chooses the embryo for transfer or for freezing or or storage or whatever the fate of that embryo is going to be so the embryologists are the scientists who are in the lab in the background you might you might not get to meet them but they're the ones who are doing all of the the tiny, tiny, tiny work with the embryos and the sperm and the eggs in the background. Do you know, to be honest, I've never really thought beyond that call that I get telling me about my embryos and how they're doing. <laughs> but it sounds like a heavy weight. Everyone who is, you know, using assisted reproductive technology is sort of relying on you. That sounds like a bit of pressure. Yeah, look. There's, there's no denying that what embryologists do is 
quite literally awesome work. Um, and we, we certainly had a rule in the lab where I did my training 20 years ago um, that if at any point you felt overwhelmed by the awe of what it was that you were doing, because we are quite literally playing with creation where we're playing where we're at, in our, at our fingertips are eggs and sperm and embryos that that may go on to become human beings and so if at any point we felt um, overwhelmed by the awe of what we were doing then we should raise a hand and step back and someone else would step in and do what we were doing because that was always the point where you started to shake or get nervous or overthink what you were doing um, and yes whilst it is that 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 awesome work it's also um, processes and procedures that we are very very trained to do for example ICSI if you're having ICSI that is intracytoplasmic sperm injection that's where the embryologist will um, manipulate and capture a single sperm and inject it into a single egg now a single egg is hugely much bigger than the sperm but still not visible to the naked eye so this is a procedure that's done on a massive microscope with hydraulically controlled micro manipulators um, and it takes about 12 months to learn how to do ICSI and about two years before you're really allowed to do it without any supervision so we, we go through a lot of training where highly skilled highly specialized scientists um, but every now and then you do get overwhelmed by, oh, my God, I'm actually like, oh, shit, I don't know if I can, oh, hmm. mm -hmm. and you step back and go, can someone else just take over for a minute? Yeah. I just need a cup of tea. <laughs> um, and it, because you're right, it, it is a big thing, but it's um, there's a lot of training behind it too. For many women and couples going down the path of IVF, um, we've researched the heck out of what an embryo is and you know I'm pretty much sure just like myself I have studied my time lapse and looked at the pictures but there are listeners who are starting out their journey and are fact finding so can you tell us what an embryo is? Yeah so you're right lots of people get really confused about what's an embryo what's an egg what's how does it all work so when we do the original egg collection sometimes that's called an oocyte collection but that's where you go into theatre and you have your eggs collected when we put them together with the sperm they're not fertilized yet we need to watch for 24 hours and wait and see if that fusion occurs between the genetic contribution of the sperm and the genetic contribution of the egg. Once those two are fused and we can confirm that that egg is fertilised, it's called a zygote at that point. And it is a zygote until it divides. So um, once the, the chromosomes from the sperm and the chromosomes from the egg have fused together and that, that egg divides into two cells it's still within the same shell of the original egg but it's now called an embryo and that embryo then continues to divide within the shell of the egg um, for three days usually and then from about day four it starts to turn into what's called a blastocyst which is another word that get that that you'll find around everywhere if you google searching um, 
And a blastocyst is a particular type of embryo, a stage of embryo development, which the embryo should reach by around day five or day six after your egg collection. So if egg collection is day zero, you should have a blastocyst by day five or day six. Um, and that blastocyst is quite different to the embryo that was growing on day two and day three in that um, it has two very distinct cell types. So it's still within the shell of the original egg that was collected way back at your egg collection. Um, but within that shell, that shell has got thinner, the embryo has got bigger, and there are two very distinct cell types and a sort of a space or a gap in the middle. And that's called a blastocyst. But it's still under the heading of embryo until it implants and becomes a, a fetus. And so a blastocyst then hatches right so does it hatch while you're watching it or does it hatch while um it goes back into the uterus so so very very occasionally we will see hatching embryos on day five um sometimes it's more likely that you'll see a hatching embryo on day six or day seven um but it can happen in the lab but it's not a problem if it hasn't happened by then. Um, hatching embryos, um, hatching blastocysts, as I said, can be seen on day five or day six, um, but uh, they don't have to have done that before the embryo transfer. In fact, in most cases, they probably haven't done that before transfer. That's something that happens after embryo transfer and it needs to happen before that blastocyst can implant in the uterine wall. So you have your embryo transfer, which some people call implantation. It's not actually implantation. They're just putting it into your uterus in the hope that it will then implant and embed itself into the uterine wall. So you, we're just putting it in the right place at the right time and hoping that it does the right thing. Okay. So, but if it starts to hatch just say that you're watching it on day five and it starts to hatch, is that means it's no yep. good to put back because it's already hatching and there's nothing? No, no, not at all, not at all. So that the process of hatching takes quite a, a time, like it doesn't just suddenly happen under the mm. microscope as you're looking. It takes, it, it, it's a process. So the embryo actually collapses on itself and then re-expands again and then collapses on itself and re-expands again and each time it re-expands it pushes a little bit more on the shell of the original egg that it's still encased in and that shell gets thinner and thinner and eventually a little hole will form and a little bubble of the embryo will start to push out of that hole and then it will collapse down again and then it will re-expand and a bit more will go out through the hole and then it will collapse and then it will expand and a bit more will go out through the hole. So you can see an embryo that has started to hatch. Um, a fully hatched embryo can still be implanted. It can still um, sorry, can still be transferred to the uterus and still carries the possibility that it will implant in the uterine wall. It's a little trickier to do an embryo transfer with a fully hatched blastocyst because the cells are sticky. So it's, um, it's a little bit trickier for the embryologist to load that embryo into the catheter mm. that it needs to be in to be introduced back to the uterus. But that's the only problem there. Okay. Um, and so mm. what does this whole grading mean? Well, grading is 
really a way for the embryologist to communicate with each other within the lab when they're um, assessing the embryos. So if we go back to a time before um, before any labs had time-lapse imagery on their incubators, we needed to take the embryos out of the incubator, put them on a microscope, sit down at the microscope, have a look at the embryo, scroll through lots of different focal planes in that embryo to make sure we're really looking at the entire embryo um, and then write down a grade for it so that the other embryologists that we work with within the lab can look at the piece of paper that we've written on and have an idea about what that embryo looks like. So um, grading is kind of a, a within the lab conversation if you like um, because I might be the one who's assessing the embryos in the morning but it might take me three hours to assess all of the embryos in the lab and they might start embryo transfers before I've finished assessing all of them so I might be assessing patient patient D's embryos when they're doing patient A's embryo transfer. So someone else might need to look at the notes that I've made about patient A's embryos and make a decision about which embryo should be transferred and which one should be frozen. And they need to be able to do that based on the assessment that I've made if, without even talking to me and without seeing the embryo. So the grading is very, very important from that respect. There are quite strict um quite strict criteria for which grades of embryos get to be transferred, which grades of embryos get to be frozen or stored for later use, and which grades of embryos need to be discarded. By the gradings, are you able to tell whether the embryo has any defects? Hmm. So that's a yes and no answer, which is annoying. <laughs> but um, there are some things that are really easy to tell by the grading of the embryo. So if the embryo is not developed in the last 24 hours since we last looked at it, um, or where if we are watching on time-lapse imagery and we see that the embryo just stops developing at some point, then yes, we can grade that embryo with a very low grade and we know that that embryo is is has stopped developing. It's It needs to be discarded. Mm. Um, it has arrested is what we call it. Um, that, that, that's the, the yes aspect to, to the answer. The no aspect to the answer is I've seen um, a, a group of embryos where they've all got the highest grade available and that, that particular patient was having PGT, pre-implantation genetic testing, and all of the embryos have come back abnormal. Mm. So they have a chromosomal abnormality that would result in failure to implant or miscarriage or abnormal baby. Um, yet on grading, they all look perfect. Mm. I've also seen embryos where the embryos are all graded quite low, but they do PGT and they're all normal. We go, okay, well, we'll transfer them and they make babies. So in that aspect, no, we can't tell if the embryo has defects, but sometimes we can if it's particularly bad. That's really interesting. Hmm. Mm. It's really quite amazing and it sounds like a lot is going on behind the scenes, you know, and I actually always thought it was the position of where the embryo was being put back. Mm. Well, it, 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 it's, it's, it's actually the true meaning of teamwork because the embryologist can't make nice embryos out of crappy eggs. We can only work with what we get given. So it, in that aspect, that what the eggs look like when we collect them is dependent on so many factors that are out of the embryologist's hands. It might be 
diet and diet and supplement information that you're getting from your naturopath it might be exercise um, stuff you're getting from an exercise physiologist it might be mindset work you've been doing with your coach it might be um, the stimulation protocol that the doctor has used leading up to that egg collection um, but once the eggs are in the lab it's totally up to the embryologist about what happens after that mm. and the skill and um, protocols and processes of the specific lab that you are using or that your specialist uses um, can absolutely determine your outcome you know if, if you're in a lab that that the, where the embryologists have run off their feet, they've got two minutes here and two minutes there and they don't have time for any continuing education and they don't have time for phone calls with patients and they don't have time to spend that extra minute assessing your embryo, then your outcome's going to be different to compared to if you go to a lab where your embryologists are cool and calm and collected and they've got heaps of time and they really want to talk to you on the phone and they do lots of extra education and training and, and they spend lots of time assessing your embryos and doing all those kinds of things. That's going to make a big difference to your outcome. Definitely. Wow. It's, maybe you shouldn't have told me that because I'm the type of person to, <laughs> to call up the embryologist because obviously they're all on, um, on the website and just like, you know, have a general yep. chit chat with them. What is it like over there? Are you relaxed? Are you... <laughs> you get my yeah. training and it's <laughs> like interviewing them um, it's like you're the one who's going to handle my embryos ab absolutely it is but I think speaking to the individual embryologists about those kinds of things isn't going to give you a whole lot of information um, because they they're employed by that company they're going to give you the information they need to give you um, because they're employed by that you know that's how they pay their rent and their mortgage um, but also, it's about doing your research before you start your treatment mm. um, about which which labs seem to be, I, I don't know, it's difficult information to get mm. and, and it's absolutely not the only information you need to get. But I did a podcast recently where I talked about choosing a specialist and I think the first step in choosing a specialist is choosing the clinic. Yeah. Um, and then once you've chosen the clinic, then you choose your specialist from within that clinic mm. because um, things that go on in the lab can make a huge difference to the outcomes. For example, when we moved from big incubators with a great big door, they were like fridge incubators, I'm going back 20 years now, mm. um, down to using mini incubators where there was just one little lid, like a little sandwich press, and you open the lid just for that patient. Our success rates changed by about 10 or 15% in a week wow. and they stayed high um, because of that tiny little thing that we changed within the lab. So, um, you know, there, there are clinics doing doing trials with um, human growth hormone in the, in the culture media and they're showing success with that. There are you know, all sorts of different little things in the lab that make a big contribution to the outcome. And I certainly talk about it a lot on my Instagram um, about, different questions that you could possibly ask that might make a difference to how you choose your clinic mm. and then how you choose your specialist but yes it is a it is a true team and it you know the embryologist can't make magic out of out of you know um, bad raw material mm. so it's about delivering the best raw material you possibly can to the lab and then 
stepping back and reading books and watching movies and doing stuff that has nothing to do with fertility um, and trusting that you've made a good choice in choosing that lab. I will qualify that by saying in Australia, we're really, really lucky in that all of our labs in Australia are governed by um, RTAC, the Reproductive Technology Accreditation Committee, and they visit these labs every year and they review and audit all of their results. And if they don't sit within a couple of standard deviations of all the other labs in Australia, then a lot of questions get asked. And so we're very, very lucky in Australia that our labs are all of a certain calibre mm. and that calibre, that standard is one that's world-renowned. You know, people in, in Sweden, in Finland, in Germany, in Italy, in Spain, they look to Australia for the technology and the, the um, skill set of the embryo, embryologists here in Australia. So we're very lucky here in Australia. I was actually doing some research and I came across some new technologies that were developed that made it possible for the embryologist to check one embryo without disturbing the others. Yeah. So, you know, technology is always evolving and improving so it's really great to see that that it's actually helping with um you know improving the way how embryos are handled mm. yeah and and look there, there are there are changes new things coming all the time and new research and new amazing things and that's where um i certainly encourage my clients to make that that initial decision about the clinic and the specialist in a very cool, calm and collected way so that when they look back on it later, they can go, yeah, I made the best decision I could with the information I had at the time and now I'm going to read this book about gardening and forget about my embryos because I know that they're in the hands of amazing people and no amount of research that I do is going to change their processes. So I just need to trust the process. I've just had a question pop up. Um, let's just go back to a collection um, and I'm asking for a friend. Yes. Can you tell by looking under the microscope if an egg is from a younger or a more mature lady? Mm. Um, there are some aspects to um, egg health that we can assess at egg collection. At egg collection, the egg is um, surrounded by um a whole lot of cells, a big cloud of cells around the egg at collection. And sometimes there are some telltale signs in that cloud of cells that's around the outside of the egg. And we can say, well, this looks a bit, um, you know, bit post-mature, we call it, um, where the egg itself is not actually um, beyond maturity, but it just looks a bit older. Um but not always, you know, it's very, very hard to assess eggs and make any kind of um, judgment about where, what their pathway might hold. Until they're first um, Well, even then, you know, when I worked in, in Europe, um, there were some laws in Italy and I think in some parts of Germany where um, they were not allowed to freeze embryos. So they had to freeze all any material that they had, they had to freeze it um, at the zygote stage. So you remember before I was saying when the egg is fertilised, it, mm. it's called a zygote until it divides. So mm. at that 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 I'm fertilised but I haven't started dividing yet stage, they had to try and assess the embryos or the, the zygotes and freeze them at that point. And that's impossible. There's no way you've gathered enough information about the pathway of that egg and sperm yet to know 
whether it's going to make an embryo. The longer we can look at the growth of the the zygotes and the embryos and, and the blastocysts, the more information we can gather, the more information we can have to make a decision about whether that embryo is likely to make a baby or not. Mm. But certainly at the egg stage, that's it, a very, very hard assessment to make. There are some, um, some standout telltale signs and definitely there are some you can look at and go, these eggs are old eggs and this is not going to work um, or I don't like the chances with this one, um, but not always. Now, um, you hear a lot about um, frozen transfers versus fresh transfers, and um, there's a yes. lot of evidence out there or um, information out there, yeah, information, information out there sure. that says yeah. frozen yeah. transfers are more successful, more effective. So what would you say, um, frozen transfers v fresh transfers? Um, look, for a really, really, really long time, fresh transfers were the gold standard. Um, and then we moved to frozen transfers. Um, you know, frozen transfers were not quite as good, but they were still obviously necessary and useful. Um, these days, I think it depends very much on the study you're reading. I think some studies show that frozen transfers are much better than fresh. Other studies show that fresh transfers are much better than frozen. Um, I think you gather all the information and still not have a conclusive result. But I think probably it lies in the preparation for the cycle. So when you have a fresh transfer, obviously that's on the back of at least two weeks of stimulation to get the egg collection. Um, and I think there's, well, no, there's always residual uh, hormones after all of that that are synthetic hormones that you've used to get to egg collection. So, and all the stress involved with all the, the injections and the egg collection and the fertilisation and the embryo growth and everything, it's all a very, very stressful time. So you're putting that embryo back into what is potentially a very stressed environment, not just because of, um, you know, when we think the, the normal things we think about stress, um, you know, with the thing overthinking and all of that kind of stuff, but also the physiological stress, a lot of injections, a lot of um, maybe bruising around your tummy, a lot of pain, you've had a surgical procedure, you've had all of that kind of stuff. If you compare that to a frozen transfer, which is often done in a natural cycle, so you just naturally track your own ovulation and then transfer the embryo at the right time, that's a much more relaxed um, environment to put that embryo in. And that might be the, 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 um, the defining factor between the success of frozen embryo transfers and fresh embryo transfers. I think if you have an opportunity for a fresh embryo transfer, you should take it. Um, but if it feels all too stressful and everything's all just a bit overwhelming, I think that there's absolutely no harm in freezing the embryos and going for a frozen transfer. You're not um, you're not jeopardising your chances by doing that. And you might even, in fact, be increasing your chances by doing that. So I think there's, it's good both ways. I always feel quite overwhelmed when I'm going forward for a fresh transfer. And I think the last time I mm. went, I had a Valium <laughs> to calm myself down. <laughs> <laughs> Look, in, in Sweden, um, they actually do all their egg collections under Valium. Um, and quite a few of the of the 
yeah, yeah, they don't do them under local anesthetic and under a um, general anesthetic at all. It's done under a, a Valium with a little bit of local anesthetic in the top of the vaginal wall, and that's how they do all the recollections oh, in God. a quiet, darkened room. Your partner can be there holding your hand. It's a very relaxed, lovely, calm sort of thing. It's not a theatre um, anesthetist stressful kind of situation. It's quite different. Wow. So, and but also it depends on the embryos. You know, if you have embryos, sometimes the embryologist will say, look, these embryos don't look awesome and they're not good enough quality for us to freeze them. We don't think that they're going to survive the freezing and thawing process or the cooling and warming process, but we're happy to transfer them if you want to transfer. And I've seen people get pregnant from that. Absolutely. So it might not be a decision that you um, have available to you. Um you might just have to have the fresh embryo transfer. But if there are embryos that are suitable for freezing and you're feeling a bit anxious and it's all just a bit much, then absolutely I would support saying, can we do a freeze all? And I'll come back and have that embryo transferred later when I've calmed down a bit. <laughs> and when we're all feeling yeah, nice and calm yeah. and relaxed. Good, good, good advice. So when you're doing a frozen egg transfer, mm. and obviously it's taken out of the freezer, how long does it take to thaw? And yeah. how do you know whether it's actually survived the whole process? So the embryos are stored in um, a large liquid nitrogen tank. So um, on straws within little so if you picture um a really really small drinking straw so um you'd probably fit 10 of them on your little finger maybe five of them on your little finger that's the kind of straw that your embryo is in um and one of those straws per embryo so each of those little straws then goes into a little tiny cup that's probably about the the um, circumference of your little finger um, and about as long as like a pen canister almost um, and the straws go with inside that that cup um, and then those cups are then inside another cup and then they go into the liquid nitrogen so when we're thawing an embryo we will have the paperwork um We'll know exactly which which cup, which big cup we're looking for. We'll pull out that big cup and then we'll look for the smaller canister, the smaller cup, and then we'll find the straw within there and then we pull it out. And within seconds, we need to have submersed or, or dipped that straw into a particular um, very specialised type of liquid, um, a thawing solution, a warming solution, um, and then it's it's ready to go basically it takes literally seconds um to rewarm an embryo once that embryo has been warmed um, we can then assess it down the microscope the same as we would with a fresh embryo um and see that it's sort of fluffed up again so when we when we vitrify embryos which is what they do these days um when we vitrify them they're sort of stored in a in a solid glass-like state um, and when we warm them we can see that they've sort of fluffed up for want of a better word mm. um, sort of puffed up again and they're, and they're 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 vital again they're sort of you can you can tell by looking at them whether they're whether they've survived or not mm. um, provided at least 50 percent of the cells in the embryo have survived then that embryo is deemed to have survived the warm so if you have an eight cell embryo, if at least four of those cells have survived the warm, then that embryo is, is deemed to have survived and we would then transfer it. 
If only three of the cells have survived, then we would thaw another one and, and carry on. In a blastocyst, that's harder to tell because there's more cells. So it's not just a matter of counting up to eight. Um, so then it's a matter of looking at, at a percentage type assessment, you know, 10%, 20%, how much of this embryo looks reinflated and happy again and how much of it looks not that not and and what percentages are we looking at there and that's how you can tell whether it's survived the freezing and thawing or not or vitrifying and warming not allowed to call it freezing and thawing anymore mm. Vitrif vitrification and warming um and then we can you know decide whether we need to go thaw another one or warm another one or whether we transfer that one so i always thought in my head when um it's been warmed and you're ready to you know do a transfer it started mm. to divide and that's how you really you know know whether it's yep. survived because it's active now well with the blastocysts we can't really tell if they've divided because there are lots and lots and lots of cells there and we can't count them but we can see remember i talked before when i was talking about blastocysts they have that sort of hole in the middle the cavity in the middle yeah um and usually that cavity when you freeze the embryos that that deflates and we want to see that they've started to reinflate that cavity again mm, interesting okay that's great reinflate that cavity again then we can see that they've started to to recover mm. Mm, and then popped back in and hopefully that's right it sticks <laughs> that's right the million dollar question what makes it stick <laughs> Yeah, and I'm pretty much sure if you had the winning formula, you'd be a very rich lady. <laughs> You've been such a wealth of knowledge and it's been amazing speaking with you and hearing more about the makeup of an embryo, which mm. actually makes you the perfect person to guide and help women and couples on their journey to parenthood. Oh, I love what I do. So if someone needed to get in touch with you, how can they do that? So they can find me on the internet, www.twolinesfertility.com.au. There's heaps of resources and loads of information there. I'm also very active on Instagram and I'm there all the time. So come over there. My DMs are always open and you can come over there and have a bit of a chit chat with me there. Um, and lo there are lots of podcasts and, and articles and stuff that you can read. There's one particular blog that I wrote um, a couple of years ago now, but it's called What Actually Is an Embryologist? Um, go and have a bit of a read of that because it's my best read blog so far and I, I loved writing it. It's, it's based on a um, study that was done by someone in New Zealand, actually, who's an anthropologist who was researching I think the paper that she published was called The Culture of Embryologists and it really fascinated me by when I heard her talking about it way back in 2006 and I hunted out her article and, and you can find it there on my website um, in my blogs. Um, it's one Beautiful. of my favourites. So that's where people can find me. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time and, you know, as I said, love what you do. Thank you so much. Thank um, you, Ella. I must take this opportunity to say thank you too to you for all that you do for the fertility community i think um what you're doing here is amazing and i think it's it's awesome to get all this information out there for people make it a whole lot easier for everyone else than it ever was for me um, mm. when i was trying to conceive so thank yeah, you for everything no problem thank you again take care and i'll see you on instagram <laughs> see ya bye